Although the details of how and why 19 hijackers of four U.S. domestic flights slammed them into the World Trade Center in New York and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., may never be known. The events raise profound issues about the nature of the world we live in. Americans are searching not just for the answers to who was responsible for killing nearly 3,000 people, but for how and why they could hate the United States that much. Osama bin Laden, leader of Al-Qaeda, the organization that stands accused of masterminding and financing those acts, has evinced a deep hatred for the modern world and a desire to resurrect a Muslim empire reminiscent of its 8th century glory. Is this the beginning of the clash of civilizations that some have been predicting? As this book will make clear, I think not. The reason is that the basic elements of the modern world are not civilizations, but rather nation-states and global capitalism. To be sure, the modern West, the United States included, has benefited immensely from a world organized along the lines of nation-state and industrial capitalism, while others, including many in the Islamic world, have not. How and why that particular way of organizing the world came to be is the subject of this book, although it was written before the events of September 11th. Thus, I do not specifically address the attacks in the body of the text, but I do believe my arguments are highly relevant to helping us place those events into a broader historical context. At the end of the conclusion, I have appended an afterword where I reflect more on the events of September 11 and how the material in this book helps to frame an interpretation of what they might mean. Preface to the Second Edition In response to requests from colleagues and teachers of world history, this edition contains a new chapter that takes the narrative of the modern world through the 20th century and into the early 21st century. The first edition ended in 1900, both because I felt that the main features of the modern world had come into being by then, and because of the difficulties and challenges of doing contemporary history. The closer to the present we get, the less sure we can be of the narrative because the story is not yet over. We do not yet have the historical perspective to know what is really important and how the story ends. Indeed, that makes the task of composing a brief narrative of the 20th century exceedingly difficult, for themes and events that seem important to some observers necessarily had to be left out. Nonetheless, there are questions that students are curious about and that were not completely obvious from the storyline that ended in 1900. American students in particular were interested in understanding the history of how and why the United States emerged as a world power in the 20th century and how it came to be the sole superpower by the end of the 20th century. This edition addresses that question by arguing that the rise of the United States as global hegemon was contingent upon other developments. It was not inevitable, but that is not the whole, or perhaps even most important, part of the story of the 20th century. For the resurgence of Asia toward the end of the 20th century cautions us against assuming the permanence or even longevity of U.S. dominance. More importantly, though, those political and economic markers of significance of the 20th century may well recede into insignificance when compared with the vastly changed relationship of humans to the environment that was wrought in the 20th century, what I call the Great Departure, and that is part of this expanded narrative as well.